passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. And we are live with rewind to raw the night after WrestleMania's version how are you eh wrestlemania i wrestlemania i yes WrestleMania. i was wondering what i was doing with my life for 90 percent of the show tonight you are host uh taking notes for a wrestling podcast that's what you're doing no yeah. by by the time i got that x that expository segment from alexa bliss I really just <laughs> contemplated um, running as hard as I could into a wall, seeing who would win. <laughs> and seeing what came out of your head, if it was any black goop or... Red. Yeah, it t- turns out as long as I don't get hit with an RKO, I'd probably be fine. I could come back from anything. It's actually sending a horrible message. Well, I mean, despite what you might have thought thought about your life during the process i i imagine um talking about it will will be entertaining because there's a lot to talk about on this brand new show yeah we're going to uh, get into everything so uh let's dive in uh lots to talk about a uh, big schedule this week we are we are not there are, there are no days off here at post wrestling and just some highlights that i want to uh alert people to uh, for post wrestling cafe members uh, this week on Tuesday, we're dropping two of our shows from post podcast day. We'll have the live ask away up on the, uh, the cafe podcast feed, as well as our Q and a that we did with ESPN's Ariel Helwani. So that uh, can be all consumed on Tuesday on uh, Wednesday night. We're live with dynamite for our double, double plus patrons Thursday. Maybe maybe this is what I need after tonight's raw. It's the wellness policy at three o'clock Eastern. Maybe maybe some um, some nice uh, maybe some yodeling you could incorporate into this week's uh, particular. Maybe that would be soothing and, and thematic thematic coming off of his win on Saturday. Yodeling. Well, I don't know how yodeling fits into uh, any sort of wellness technique, but I, I'm sure it's, it's calming. I'm sure that there is a science behind a, a certain. Um, a certain calmness that comes with someone that think about the comfort level you would have if you were a yodeler that went on top of a mountain. That tells me someone that is very much in command of his of himself. Uh, if you want to jump on the show and speak at length about yodeling, you're more than welcome, John. But the last thirty seconds is why you co-host that show and I listen to it. <laughs> uh, but that that unfortunately will not be the topic this week. This week we are going to me and Jordan Goodman will be talking about. A very popular book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. No way. No way. 
Yeah. You read it? Are you serious? No, I'm not. But, okay, so me and my sister are, like, she, uh, I guess, saw my my world-famous Instagram post. And she said, I'm going to outread you this year. And I laughed at her. I said, you won't come close. So it's like we just go back and forth now. And that's what she's reading right now. She's one book behind me. And she literally texted me the cover of that book at 4 p.m. today. So maybe, maybe she's like a closet listener and she's reading this in preparation for Thursday. I am not aware if she is a patron, but this might all be connected. She's probably on Amazon looking up a book about yodeling as we speak. Could be. You know, because that'll be. But uh, I'm very excited to, to talk about this book because it's evidently a very popular one that I know a lot of people uh, who listen to the show have already read. So we're look, looking to get into some discussion about it, what the concepts are, uh, what its success, what led to its success, perhaps. So join us Thursday, 3 p.m. on the Post Wrestling Cafe, available live for all Zoom patrons or archived after the fact for everybody. We've got um, myself and WH on Friday with Post Pro Res, live rewind to SmackDown. Way, WH, and Nate Milton, they will be doing the remaining two MCU laters covering the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, but the big show this week that I want uh, a lot of people to um, be aware of is the British Wrestling Experience this Thursday. They're doing a, a pretty stacked show. It's going to be Martin Bushby, who is flying solo. Uh, Benno is off this week. He just did a, a grinding WrestleMania week schedule. The guy needs to... Uh, have a bit of a R&R before he returns. But Martin will be joined by Member of Parliament Alex Davies-Jones, who is a part of this uh, new report that the uh, all-party parliamentary group on wrestling has put together, essentially taking um, what they've investigated from the whole speaking out movement and how to basically uh, clean up the UK wrestling scene and they have put out this report that they are going to discuss uh, with Alex and then also uh, joining them on that show is going to be uh, Alan Collins, who's a child abuse litigator and uh, from Pro Wrestling Torch, Will Cooling will be on the show. So I think that is going to be a must listen to show for a lot of people to, you know, we have talked about, you know, these horrific details and just the, the, mountain of them that came out last summer and we continue to hear about and this is something like actual this report it's at least trying to introduce some actions some real change that can occur uh, i have not studied the, the report yet so i will be listening to this with uh with great interest as well uh, but i would certainly recommend this thursday on the british wrestling experience uh, feed yeah, please subscribe to that show. Uh, they're constantly putting new material out there. So uh, British Wrestling Experience, wherever you download your podcast. Also wanted to direct everybody's attention to the brand new night for Up Next, which is Tuesday evenings now with the move of NXT. It's a brand new jumping on point for NXT, and it's a great time to join our friends at the BDE as they cover it all. Uh, and of course, plenty of bonus coverage of WrestleMania week on their Patreon too. This this Thursday, it's up next Mania, John. This is their big week. Oh, this is their WrestleMania week for sure. So uh, up next Mania, get all your information by following at up next podcast on Twitter. All right. So check out all of that. Uh, lots of stuff up at uh, postwrestling.com. The whole schedule is there for you to check out. And some news uh, circulating today. Um, so this goes back to the, the Hall of Fame ceremony from last week uh, for the 2021 class uh, for their legacy wing, 
One of the people that they included uh, was Ethel Johnson, who was a, a well-known uh, African-American wrestler um, back, uh, you know, starting in the early 50s. And this gained uh, attention when it was noted that the some of the footage used was not of Ethel Johnson, but instead of a Canadian wrestler, Sandy Parker, who started, uh, you know, much later. She got involved in like the late 60s, is actually from Vancouver and has like a pretty outstanding story herself. But this, you know, obviously drew um, criticism, the fact that they had the incorrect uh, performers footage uh, used as, as B-roll footage. So Chris Borne, who is the director of this documentary uh, that's out on Amazon, Lady Wrestler, the amazing untold story of African-American women in the ring, interviewed three of the family members of Ethel Johnson. And it's it's important to note that Ethel Johnson... Uh, her and two of her sisters were very significant wrestlers. Her sisters included Babs Wingo and Marva Scott. So the interview was with Shelly Adams, who is the oldest daughter of Ethel Johnson, her niece, Kim Goodwin Martin, and granddaughter, uh, Micaiah. So the three of them were interviewed, and they largely just, they were very upset about this, kind of just how WWE incorrectly identified or misidentified Ethel Johnson in this video package with another wrestler, but also the fact that she was noted, I guess in the voiceover, that she was the first African-American female wrestler, which they said should be properly credited with Babs Wingo, her sister. She was the first African-American wrestler. They said you could categorize Ethel Johnson as the first African-American female champion. So they want the record to be corrected and potentially an apology from WWE. They have been in contact with WWE, which they noted they weren't even made aware of this until seeing like a social media post by WWE because they were not contacted ahead of time that Ethel Johnson was going to be part of this legacy wing, which we've heard of with, with other people going into the legacy wing. So now on that on the WWE Network, uh, the voiceover has been changed, identifying her as the first African-American women's champion um, and looks to it like they have uh, they have updated uh, that that entry in the legacy wing. But anyway, that interview is up and I linked to it in my update today. And it just seems like I I don't believe it was malicious on the part of WWE. I just think it was an extremely sloppy job. Uh, that this is what ended up airing and that, you know, some I'm, I'm not expecting uh, like hardcore journalism from WWE, but the very basic facts uh, that stuff should be called into question. This family is like they are very proud of the legacy of not just Ethel Johnson, but also uh, of Babs Wingo and Marva Scott. And I just think especially this weekend where that was so celebrated on Saturday night with two black women headlining WrestleMania, uh, that this this really looked bad for WWE. Um, I will say this, if there's any silver lining, it's that this gigantic gaffe is at least enlightening a lot more people now about the contributions of the likes of Ethel Johnson and Babs Wingo and Marva Scott. More people are probably going to see this documentary. More people are going to see a lot of the literature that's been published about them, but Nonetheless, this was, I, I thought, an important story that should not go unnoticed. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I think it's a pretty embarrassing 
um, mistake from WWE production, which typically I think is very good. But, you know, something like this, we did talk about it slightly when we were discussing the Hall of Fame last week, um, continues to bring to question what exactly the aim of the legacy wing is for the WWE. If it is to actually add some credibility to your Hall of Fame ceremony, um, I think the least you could expect is like some proper research about the footage that you're using for the video package. Um, I'm, you know, and I think it's probably to most people who are celebrated as, as a part of this, probably like a great honor, you know, something that they didn't expect. And really, I can't really see what sort of value, you know, uh, publicity wise WWE would gain from, from even doing something like this, the way, you know, that, man the celebrity wing for instance would um so it's in on the one hand i think a great um you know uh gesture by the wwe to go out of the, their way to honor some of these people that really deserve it but on the other hand um a little insulting when you know they get something like like that so so wrong so I, I really do wonder, like, what the aim of the Legacy Wing is. And, you know, if you're the WWE, is it worth this, you know, the, these potential mistakes? And why not simply contact the people that that are you're about to honor just to, first of all, let them know so that they can at least watch. And secondly, just to confirm. Well, that's, that's, that's the thing. When I first heard the story, like, Barbara Goodish is finding out from people that bruiser brody was named that one year it's like no one wants to find out that way because there are those that are going to take this as like a nice honor especially for you know ethel johnson is someone that is not going to be celebrated amongst the modern pro wrestling fan base so it would maybe be nice to know this and at the beyond just like the Hey, we're making this list. Let's do our best to reach out and contact those that this is going to be meaningful for. But also, like, a quick conversation. Hey, can we just run these stats by you? Does this all coincide with, like, the facts? Like, Chris Borne is a director that has studied this meticulously. And, again, like, is someone that you could reach out to and, in a 10-minute phone conversation, just make sure, hey, does this copy... um, does this accurately portray the legacy of Ethel Johnson? Is this factually accurate? And I think that that should be a priority. And I'm glad that, you know, this is being a uh, spotlight is being put on this. And I hope that there is, you know, greater care for future years. And, and perhaps like this is something where the WWE, like there is a PR component to this idea, but of next year, honoring the sisters honoring all three of them or something and and utilizing that for like an actual induction or something like that turn this into a positive for the company as well but also like that's what the hall of fame is it comes with publicity for the company but also does place a spotlight on certain figures yeah i don't really see that happening um in this situation it's it, it this probably seems like a case that they'd rather just you know quietly ignore re-edit the show and then just kind of move past um, but it's 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 really fascinating trying to think about like the reasons why they might be doing something like this. Well, I'd recommend people that um, if you could check out um, Chris Borne's documentary, Lady Wrestler, uh, Pat Laprade and Dan Murphy. They put out a fantastic book several years ago, the the Sisterhood of the Squared Circle. And I mean, there's a lot of great uh, historians out there who have like researched these figures. You know, your Greg Oliver's, Jeff Lean, uh, many others as well. 
the next uh, story we've got is, uh, well, the WrestleMania SmackDown edition uh, from last Friday on Fox ended up doing uh, 2,250,000 viewers, 0.61 in the 18 to 49 demo. It was their best number since March the 5th. Uh, in Canada, they did uh, just over 185,000 viewers on Sportsnet 360. So I would say a decent number for SmackDown, not a gigantic gain for um, kind of a WrestleMania-themed edition of SmackDown. Uh, we will see if WrestleMania dot 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 backlash uh, is able to gain that interest. Do we you get WrestleMania dump- money in the bank after WrestleMania SummerSlam? Why not WrestleMania Raw, WrestleMania SmackDown? WrestleMania all year long. (laughs) Yeah. Until that brand just loses all its value completely. Oh, my God. Ricochet, congratulations. You are now a WrestleMania main eventer. WrestleMania Backlash, yes. WrestleMania Uh, main event, yes. Exactly. Uh, NXT on Tuesday. They have not announced a whole lot for their debut on Tuesday other than an appearance by Raquel Gonzalez and Santos Escobar. Uh, providing a open challenge for the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, Chris Jericho interview on Broken Skull Sessions. Uh, we had run pretty late last night. Uh, did you want to talk about that now? or Yeah, well, let's, let's chat about, about it now. now. So what did you think about the format overall? It was a two-plus-hour interview. Um, AEW was definitely addressed. Uh, how deep did you go? think they went in, in regards to the AEW topic that many were going to be watching for? You know, deeper than I thought, you know, they pretty much kind of started off the bat talking about how this came to be. Um, I think, you know, for the first time seeing the hearing the letters AEW addressed on a WWE product or at least on the WWE network, um, that to me was still an element of surprise because, I, you know, we know throughout the years they've they've been able to freely mention impact. They work with uh, impact and gathering footage now, uh, ROH, same thing. These are things that have passed the barrier, but now a modern, you know, uh, quote unquote competition competitor in AEW, would they feel the same way? And the answer was yes. They seem to have complete freedom in being able to have the conversation that they probably would have had if this podcast was not associated with the WWE. Now, they did not go in depth about any sort of AEW storylines or New Japan storylines. More so just the circumstances. Or, or their success on Wednesday nights. Like NXT, mm-hmm. those letters were never said in this interview, which is uh, kind of difficult to have a substantive discussion about AEW and not bring up NXT. But this, I was not it's expecting not re- that either. It wasn't relevant to Jericho's own really personal story. Like, you know, the the New Japan and AEW mentions really were just more so about like Jericho's next stage of his career. But Jericho spoke at length about, you know, working with several people like, you know, name drops like, you know, the, the Kenny and the Bucks and Orange Cassidy got to got to mention here. And I would say like it was a lot more than I was personally expecting because in years past. I think there'd be a whole lot more insecurity about like simply mentioning the world outside as a way of somehow, you know, enticing people to check out that other thing. I will say if I was not aware of AEW until this podcast or uh, until the show, I would definitely be interested in checking it out. So in that sense, I thought they actually went further than I expected. I think Jericho is a great interview subject. Um, There is a lot out there about his career. I mean, he has so uh, like four books out on his career, but I find him to be like, number one, he's, he's a very, very good speaker. Number two is that as he mentioned in here, like he has documented his entire career, which is his next book. He's, he's putting out of like, 
his entire list of career matches. So he's got very good recall because not only has he kept a database of his matches, but with the books he's written, he's had to go back and revisit all of this stuff. So he has a very clear memory of his uh, of all of his different places he's been to, specific details. And he's pretty honest in his interviews. Like you don't get the the wrestling tall tales that can you can easily fall into. So I I always appreciate that that credibility uh, that Jericho brings, and for that matter, Austin as well. I think Austin had quite the task here in that you had to cover the AEW stuff, and then it was let's do a career retrospective on a thirty year career, and it was it was very notable as he's like going along and he jumps from like Jericho's return in 2007. All right, let's move on to this ladder match with Shawn Michaels and Jericho's just, Oh, okay. There's, there's about a 20 minute preamble of how I can discuss the, the Shawn Michaels. Like that is probably the feud of his career. And it was like, there's a lot to digest here. And you had a pretty engaged subject that was willing to go deep into all of these uh, subjects. But I mean, still, you got two plus hours here. So I thought that they covered a lot of ground um, pr- pretty succinctly as well. Like the amount that was covered here. I found it interesting because this was a story I don't think I had ever heard of before. And that was when he gets like the phantom title win in 2000 over Hunter on Raw. And then it's taken back and erased was where Jericho was so uh, he, he talks about having a Sunday night heat match where he loses to Viscera right before this. And I looked this up and sure as hell, like he had had a match like two, uh, a week before uh, with Viscera. I love and that you looked it up. Like, listen, that, I'm always like, awesome. I was like, uh, how good is his timeline here? Pretty goddamn good <laughs> is what my answer was. Awesome. It happened. He's like no edge. <laughs> April, April 5th of 2000. And he does this thing on like April 17th. It's amazing. Um, what day of the week was it though? It was a Tuesday, Sunday night heat taping. Um, wow, amazing. And he says that he was pretty much at the end of, like, this was when, like, it was such a bad beginning for him in WWF. The famous story of Vince McMahon telling him, you weren't worth the paper your contract was printed on. And he was ready at this point to consider just, if you're not going to do anything with me, just let me out of my deal. This is also the same time that, Russo and Bischoff have been brought back to WCW and I'm sure he's looking at things. And I did not realize that that was in his head at that time of like considering giving Vince McMahon an ultimatum that listen, if you're done with me, then let me go. And is his career any different if he were to have left the WWF at that point, I think it would have been not to say uh, ruinous to his career, but certainly would have been the, the worst mistake for him to make at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, like a guy like this, though, seems to have just so many ideas and so many ways to reinvent himself that I'm sure he would have been fine no matter what. That's something that really came across to to me throughout the interview was just when you look at his 30 year career and the amount of like, you know, chameleon like character changes that he's had throughout. This is a man who's pretty fearless and pretty confident in himself when it comes to creativity. 
knowing that, you know, no matter what happens, I could leave this company and I could still be in a good spot. You can give me a shitty character and I'll, you can give me no TV time or any TV time on WCW and I can still make the best of it. He's somebody who is incredibly confident and of course he would have reason to be. Look at the tremendous amount of successes that he's had throughout every stage of his career. Um, I really enjoyed the, the conversation, even beyond just the AEW New Japan stuff, which I'm sure everybody was most curious about. Just having like a nice kind of, you know, uh, slice or a highlight package of like the Chris Jericho career. And I think Steve Austin continues to be my favorite wrestler interviewer. He is tremendous at navigating throughout uh, the conversation. Of course, the subjects have great rapport with him. And I really like the format on these Broken Skull sessions where they have, like, they basically play a clip and then they kind of do some play-by-play on top of it. It's it's a great use of the library for a, a library WWE Network product. It's probably the best, like, WWE Network production that they've come up with. And it's also one of the most simple. It's a very mm-hmm. easy... You have your subject, you're in a studio, and it just takes like a very good producer to mine those clips. And hopefully you have a subject that sees the visual and has instant recall. And I think the fact that they have introduced alcohol probably doesn't hurt either. Probably not. No, I think that should be a requisite really for any podcast. Well, it seems to have uh, become that on on this between bourbon and uh, or whiskey and vodka. Yeah. Also had a bit of about them talking about uh, wrestling during the pandemic. And this was perhaps the most AEW stuff you've had, where it was Jericho strictly talking about what it was like wrestling in front of a crowd, or at least in front of no crowd for AEW during a pandemic and kind of comparing notes with like the WWE experience, even though Steve Austin didn't really have that. But, you know, kind of, I guess he had to cut one of the most awkward promos ever on that very first draw. Remember that? You're right. Yeah. So he didn't have the experience. That was awful. But, um, yeah, I think that was about as in-depth as it got, maybe speaking just more about, you know, wrestling during a pandemic in a general sense, but definitely more than I expected. Yeah, I found that to be really interesting, the stuff about just, like, everything is, like, even for someone that is an experienced veteran, it's still, like, you don't have that, that feedback. You can give your best educated guess about what's working, what's not working for the viewer at home, but... I mean, AEW gets a little bit more with with more of a an actual crowd, like like the Thunderdome audience. I even with like uh, where where they are now, I just find that to be like that's got to be a very difficult environment to be in, even this many months in. Do you think Vince McMahon watched? I doubt it. I think he would have at least you know been given notes about what was said, you know, probably even before this whole thing aired. Uh, I, I think something like this really shows to me the the connection that Vince McMahon and the respect Vince McMahon likely has for Jericho. And let's not really kind of like kid ourselves. This is a way of, you know, showing Chris Jericho that the, the man is always welcome for you to come back if you ever want to leave the competition and work for me again. Uh, so I think that door is clearly always open. Yeah, I mean, it will be, you know, once Jericho's contract is coming up with AEW. I think that will be interesting. I look at WWE as well that I mean on the one hand you look at look how far they're going with with Bobby Lashley, look at, you know, certain guys that, you know, you hit 40 in WWE, that is not this cutoff point that it may once have been, but at the same time, I think that there is that focus on trying to be younger and I'm sure that that influenced a bit of their thought process. Like, we talk about 
the big show, for instance. And he's told that story about how he was told several years ago, you are never going to headline another pay-per-view. You're here to put younger guys over. And you hear that from the big show's perspective. And there's, I think, a certain sympathy that he's being told this when he's gotten into great shape. On the other hand, like we constantly are preaching the need for new stars to get younger. I can understand that thinking. I can also understand that, you know, there's short term a ton that you could have done with a Christian cage, but would requiring a three year contract for a Christian cage. What is that taking away from someone that we're developing somebody that is half his age and has come up in our system like that? These are the decisions you're making. Like where where do you kind of draw the line of somebody that can still provide value for you versus somebody that is aging your roster and you have to be looking for younger and newer talent constantly? Certain guys certainly like, you know, pass that threshold of either superstardom or, you know, just having a look that doesn't really remind you of their age. Uh, and I can certainly say if I think if Christian was as big of a star as Edge was maybe in the past or if he was as big as Bobby Lashley, maybe that that conversation would have been very different. Yeah. Well, Edge and Christian is the perfect comparison because with one they committed to and with the other, I mean, it doesn't appear they went as aggressively after. So anyway, that's up on the WWE Network. An interesting interview, and I think that you would uh, enjoy it. I think, you know, a lot of the Austin shows have been pretty, pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. But that will take us to Raw. What a transition. And off the top, I guess one of the more, uh, the kind of the, the headline story today was the, the confirmation uh, by WWE of Wrestling Inc.'s report over the weekend that Adnan Burke is going to be the new lead announcer on Raw. The press release stated that uh, Verk would be starting tonight with the, the new three-man team consisting of uh, Corey Graves and Byron Saxton with Adnan Verk. Tom Phillips will now be calling 205 Live and overseeing other projects related to Peacock and the Performance Center while maintaining his role as senior manager of on-air talent and stating that Samoa Joe is still a member of the active roster whatever that means. Um, and I guess we will find out now what this means for the SmackDown broadcast team. If Graves is coming over to Raw, who fills that seat? I would also be curious, like with Joe, like the options are returning to the ring. And if it's a broadcast role, um, you know, we just saw him all over NXT last week. I mean, is that possible? I'm sure anything is possible right now. Could they be playing musical chairs and you see, you know, Wade Barrett or Beth Phoenix showing up on SmackDown? I I think all of those are possibilities. So I guess it will be very interesting. The, the broadcast teams that we see this week from WWE. Yeah. Overall, how would you assess night one for Adnan Verk? I didn't think it was very good. Um, I don't really know what my expectations were going into this. Knowing that he is a wrestling fan, but didn't necessarily have any wrestling like play-by-play experience or, that we know of, I don't think my expectations were too high. But I think at the very least, I was expecting a bit more than what we had. To me, he sounded like a guy who was very new to calling a pro wrestling match. He was certainly missing that bravado and energy in his voice that I think we've come to expect from our pro wrestling announcers. To me, he sounded like a pretty you know, generic TV anchor trying to adapt maybe his typical baseball or whatever sport he usually calls 
call to pro wrestling and it's pro wrestling is a very different beast i think that it was he definitely had his his struggles on the show some of which were pointed out um i think that ultimately like i i I don't you know give a a passing or failing grade based on night one where i think Mm -hmm. he was thrown into what i would say of all the shows of all the broadcast positions this is the ultimate pressure cooker on raw and mm-hmm. that's going to be to me the test is going to be uh 6 months from now how he either adjusts and just assimilates to this position or someone that like i just look at it that if you are someone that has a lot of broadcasting experience this is unlike any other job you have had before it is something that it takes a special personality to be able to be in that seat, especially on Raw, and to deal with the producing that comes with this job. Not to mention the WWE speak that you have to have, and he did not have that tonight. And it's and, it's and that, learning it's, all of these characters that I'm sure he's been doing a, a crash course on. And the moves, dude. Let's not even forget that in the end, you have to call a pro wrestling match. And he, the guy does seem like he's a fan, but how how deep is his knowledge? You know, is it up to the standard that we've come to expect from our pro wrestling announcers these days? I will say uh, I also don't expect him to, you know, gain that pro wrestling voice on that first night. But I also don't think he's going to gain it a month into this either. I think it'll take a long time. For him to when get you there. say pro wrestling voice, are you comparing it to a like a Jim Ross, Mauro Ranallo, like dramatic? Because I'm looking at like the WWE template, I think is much like I think Michael Cole has it. Right. OK. I think Michael Cole is, is great at that wrestling kind of like booming. What about t- Tom Phillips? Tom Phillips. Is that I I think Phillips is better than what we had tonight. I, I, I think so, too. Like he was you know, had been doing this a lot more. Um, again, I, I don't want to be too harsh on like night one, but definitely this was n- number one. This was a big edition of raw. It's one of mm-hmm. the biggest, if not the biggest of the year. And I, I think that you sense that like he was really thrown out here and it was, you know, th- th- this was, he was thrown into the deep end tonight. And I think and, the audience could see that. And I think like if it with enough time and, and, and like he could get there, I just, I just hate the idea of somebody learning on the job on your multi-million dollar show that, you know, really, I think many people still consider to be your flagship show. Wouldn't it have been better to build this guy up from NXT? You know, is that not what the the function of that show is still to serve as developmental for your announcers before calling him up to Raw? But like to me, it still reeks of this company being so kind of like slave to the concept of credi- mainstream cre- credibility and celebrity that they're willing to just like, you know, downgrade their their pro wrestling voice to a, a newcomer just to have a recognizable name attached to the product. So I I'm not that optimistic. Well, I think like Adnan Verk is a very, you know, well-credentialed broadcaster as well. I I look at it that, and he had to go through an audition process. It's not like they just hired this guy cold either. So I think that like there is there is that element to this too. That there is there is going to be a learning curve. I think that's inevitable. Um, it's just going to be the question that it's it's a very tough place to learn as you're going along. Um, to your point, like I think NXT it gets you into that process. I think a little bit easier, but. 
like this is raw. You're in the deep end right off of the bat. Um, and we're, and we're going to see how this, how this works out. If this ends up, uh, working or does not, it's a very difficult job. So the show began with Bobby Lashley entering in a new arena. Yes. We're at the, the Yingling center, uh, at the, uh, the university of South Florida, the start of their newest residency for the Thunderdome. Was no it a mention, bit of a, uh, no mention on air as far as I'm aware. Um, they mentioned, I think off the top that they're at, they did mention it once off the top that they are at the university of South Florida. Yes. Oh, okay. And we have a slightly new set here, taller screens, taller led boards. And now they've incorporated some of the audience, uh, LEDs onto the stage as well. I think it looks awesome. It looks really good. Right. Yeah. It's, it's more rounded out in, in this location, a much smaller one than Tropicana field. So Bobby Lashley shows up in the greatest orange suit i mean this was immaculate orange suits yeah florida right looks wonderful riddle shows up and challenges lashley he talks about wearing a tinfoil hat believing in conspiracies had braces that seriously contracted ufo signals did he actually say this? I wasn't paying attention. I've tuned him out. Consider yourself lucky. Lashley was only showing up tonight to address the audience, but Riddle goads him until he knocks Riddle into his scooter and says that you are a loser, I'm a winner, and I will show you the difference tonight. So we have a match. Bobby Lashley against Riddle, who remains unchanged after this title loss to Sheamus. He lost to Sheamus, and then, you know, we were speculating, oh, okay, could this be their way of getting the title onto him so that they could set Riddle up to be the next title challenger? Uh, and he would challenge. I just didn't think it would be so soon, and uh, I didn't think it would be in a squash match. Well, maybe they have a plan, Way, Maybe it's a long-term plan. Yeah, we're going to beat him into the ground, <laughs> and then we're going to get serious with him. Uh, Byron opens the show and introduces Adnan Burke and Corey Graves, and they announce a women's title rematch tonight between Rhea Ripley and Asuka. And the Firefly Funhouse returns after a, quote, bizarre encounter between Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton last night. Our non-title match, Bobby Lashley and Riddle. Lashley destroyed this man. Then he just hit repeat and destroyed him for a second cycle of this match. He, he, he threw the scooter into the crowd and then they, he threw Matt Riddle into the crowd. <laughs> he just murdered this guy. Riddle finally, like, dude, it was like eight minutes of just beating this guy down. It was so dull by the, this point. Riddle comes back with a bunch of kicks, a ripcord, and a floating bro misses as he plants his ass on the mat and falls back into the hurt lock position and submits Byron Saxton summarized this, that he is just thankful this match is over. I co-sign. Yeah, so I, you know, I really don't know what they think of Matt Riddle, because, like, they give him so much TV time, and yet they, I guess, they, they like, the in the matches, he's very competitive. He still wins, but, man, then he gets booked into a squash like this, so I... I don't exactly have a great read on how they think of of him, except for the fact that Vince definitely probably finds him really funny. So maybe we continue to get more of that and less of the competitor. But uh, for me, it was really just a match to, you know, for me to get a sense of the new commentator 
commentary team. Kevin Patrick interviewed Rhea Ripley, and she is confident in herself to defend this title tonight. She calls Asuka one of the best champions ever, and they witnessed the brutal new order of the women's division last night. The the brew brew brutal new order. Oh, okay. Yes. The BNO. Can't wait. I can't wait for the shirt. Yeah, BNO doesn't have a great ring to it, I have to say. Would you want to show dripped in BNO? No, it sounds like something I would not want to contract during a pandemic. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin are alive, and uh, that did not last long because they were fodder for the returning Viking Raiders. Ivar, who has been out for seven months after neck surgery, is back, and his last match, where he suffered the injury, was an eight-man tag against the Hurt Business. Oh, okay, interesting. That was not mentioned here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's too bad. Wow. But anyway... uh, Eric and Ivar double-teamed Alexander for a period. Then they chop-block the knee. They work over Eric. Builds up to the tag for Ivar, who hits a seated senton out of the corner. Cartwheel, double clothesline, and then the Viking experience is hit onto Cedric Alexander. Five minutes, 41 seconds, as the Viking Raiders slash Viking Express won the match. So they are back. Are they the Viking Express? You mean the Viking Experience? They were they were called the Viking Express, but it's the Viking Raiders. Oh, they were called the Viking Express. Where did that come from? Well, maybe I don't know. Um, the the prehistoric midnights. Uh, you know, the Express came from somewhere. The Vikings. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I found this to be a pretty you know uh, generic return. I mean, they're they seem to be the in crowd the- went nuts for them, dude. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, the the monitors were just going haywire. You know, they seem to be the exact same. We didn't get much of it here, but it it seemed like a pretty, you know... It was return. a reintroduction match. It's like they're back. This tag division greatly needs another team, and they'll so, probably get fast, uh, fast-forwarded quickly to a title program. Perhaps, yeah, because what other teams are there, right? But, you know, we're, we're about to talk about a, another return, and I think especially after watching that Jericho thing, like absences are uh, bad for most people, but often it can be a positive because, you know, you get a chance to be away from the crowd so that you may return completely refreshed with something different. There's really nothing about this return to me that told me that this was any sort of different Viking experience. They still seem, you know, like a pseudo babyface. I mean, pseudo comedy babyface team, uh, their fighting style is really not all that different. They just seem to be, I, you know, yeah. Well, and we'll see. Like it is, it is just the first night back, but it also gave you a sense of where Shelton and Cedric uh, might be positioned from here on out. Yes, yes, and their apparent replacements. Patrick is with Oscar, and she said that Ripley brought the fight. Now it's her turn. Losing to Rio was a nightmare, but tonight she's ready for her, and she will win the title once again. You did a great job of making sense of it because um, I don't think Asuka comes across like very cool in these promos. I thought she she did a great job sounding pissed, but I, I feel like in NXT, they do a far better job of like coaching their Japanese talent to mix Japanese and English into the promo. This um, This felt just a little bit uncontrolled. Charlotte Flair made her return and they're bringing up how she was not happy that she was left off of the WrestleMania card. 
She says, what I do in this ring is sacred. It's not my fault. I wasn't on the card. There were things out of my control. Asuka needing a tag partner was not her fault. My dad showing up at Legends Night and acting like a fool. I don't know what any of this had to necessarily do with, like, in storyline, what did any of this have to do with you not being booked at WrestleMania? And Lacey Evans deciding to get pregnant so I couldn't kick her ass. I was like, that you could understand that, okay, we were clearly building for something and she was removed. Um, Did not bring up the fact that she got COVID. Did not bring up uh, anything about... Pregnancy? None of that stuff was addressed here, shockingly. And said, I even challenged Asuka in this ring. Asuka did not respond, and the opportunist Rhea Ripley got the match and won the title. This, in a pure storyline sense, good luck piecing all this together to make any kind of sense out of it. It's like the company didn't book one of their biggest stars at the biggest show, and she made a challenge that went unanswered by the heroic babyface. The second half of it, I thought, made made perfect sense. Okay, first of all, I mean, Lacey Evans, not she's suggesting that she had her eyes on facing Lacey Evans at WrestleMania, and then Lacey got pregnant, so she couldn't complete, uh, she couldn't enter the match. And then she says she challenged the champion, but the champion never responded, so therefore she didn't get the match. That makes storyline sense. I can't really say the same about like Oscar needing a tag partner or Ric Flair showing up on, on Legends Night being a acting a fool other than maybe just like her giving excuses about why her path to WrestleMania might've been derailed. I think that's what she, maybe that's what she ultimately means. I I really think what was missing was that there, like Charlotte was able to be used these last few weeks. And I just think like you could have come up with some logical reason for her not to be like, why did Oscar not respond to this? I do not think that's a loose end that will be tied up. Oh, of course not. No. Um, and I also wonder, like, you know, up until what point they realized Charlotte wasn't going to be there. Like, I, I wonder if, if they're, I don't know. I, I, You have to imagine, like, even up until the day, they were probably thinking, you know, is she going to have some sort of presence, right? A name that big? Who Who is thinking this? The company. I mean, it was their decision. Like, she was able to be used. Like, there was yeah. nothing preventing her from being... In the end, it's, it's a relatively small point that I don't think they'll revisit. Well, she calls Ripley the biggest snake in the locker room. Asuka manipulated her way into a rematch tonight. Karma is a bitch. And I'm that bitch. Yeah. Is that Jade Cargill's line? Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm that bitch. It's actually Karma's line. Um, awesome Kong. Well, maybe maybe this is a long term story that can pay off with an interview segment on the WWE hey, Network. I thought I thought Charlotte delivered it really well. Like it it sounded just. I thought she sounded great. But please please continue. She listed off the entire women's roster. No one compares to her. I don't steal opportunities. I am the opportunity. The fans are delusional at home that think I steal opportunities from others. The new Charlotte Flair doesn't apologize for shit. Enjoy your title match that I should have been in. So this is going to be... uh, I mean, Charlotte was number one positioned as the top heel on this women's roster. I think to somewhat 
kind of puts Rhea Ripley in a tougher spot. She kind of just almost feels like in the, in the middle of this. And I would say that would be my only complaint here is that this was such a dominant presence of Charlotte that you've got a baby face in Asuka, you've got a heel in Charlotte and Rhea Ripley is like one B to Charlotte flair and kind of just felt like the less effective heel that hasn't been given any kind of development in these few weeks to really solidify her spot. She's kind of in this tweener role. It feels like. Yeah, well, now that the Oscar program appears to be over, at least the singles match appears to be over, I hope they take Rhea Ripley more into a babyface spot because I think that's where the character works the best. We haven't really had much of a reason to hate her. In fact, she comes across incredibly likable in any sort of real-life interview or seeing the woman cry on stage looking at the crowd. How can you boo her? To me, she's a far more natural babyface, and I think that's how she she should be started off, especially if she's going to be feuding with Charlotte because she lost to Charlotte at the year prior's uh, WrestleMania. So I hope they change Rhea into more of a babyface. But as far as Charlotte's reappearance here, I thought she was great. She came in here with new straightened hair, and she did not care. She has this like brand new attitude. She's dropped the queen shtick. And to me, for the first time in a long time, she spoke in a very believable, natural voice, sounding like somebody who was legitimately pissed off that she was left out. And I thought I thought she like honed in on the art of like, you know, bottling up those real emotions and releasing them into a great heel promo here. Um I think, you know, she's either like really leveled up in this period or maybe she's always been this good. And to me, it felt like the shackles were off here. Um, convert, you know, contrasting this with like the, the Viking experience return, I sensed an actual evolution of character for Charlotte here. She was serious. She was dominant. And I'm very excited to see where it goes. Well, then we had the WrestleMania rematch between Rhea Ripley and Asuka. So Asuka is selling and then lands this missile drop kick. Then she goes for this other one where it appears she's going for the knee or just comes up short. I didn't know what was the case here. She gets out of the inverted cloverleaf and then this match to me just like fell apart. Mm-hmm. We have Ripley. She goes to lift up Asuka on her shoulders like an electric chair, but doesn't get her up and Oscar just falls back and then Ripley tries it again. It ends with like the most sloppy looking crucifix bomb. It's, it's a total mess. Both look like they hurt themselves and the announcers are pretty much calling it as such. Oscar goes for a Fujiwara and then to the Oscar lock. Uh, but then Oscar's run into the buckle as Ripley escapes. They go on to the edge of the apron and Oscar hits a modified DDT to the apron, which was pretty much losing her in midair as they crash to the floor. And then Charlotte returns, attacking both women, and it's thrown out in 10 minutes and 52 seconds. I thought this was a mess. I was actually really enjoying it for the first portion. You know, I had more energy for this tonight than I did last night in the semi-main spot. Uh, Their pace started off very frantic and fun. But like you said, John, it fell apart in the middle. With that electric chair thing. I don't think they, they ever got their like timing back. I just think they were totally on different pages at this point, And it just seemed like they... The match slipped away from them. Yeah, you know? this was a real struggle. I was surprised that it got to this extent. 
you know, by the end, you had a lack of a finish anyway, so it just kind of cemented this match as a pretty insignificant one in the grand scheme of things that nobody will remember. Better that they screwed up here than they did on than WrestleMania, okay, if, if we have to look at the silver lining. Um, the finish was definitely a turnoff, but I, I enjoyed Charlotte's beatdown here. It was very vicious. Do You were saying that this kind of ends the Ripley Oscar program, but this certainly feels like a triple threat coming out of this, given mm-hmm. that she attacked both women. So that seems to be where we are going here. Yeah, it seems that way. And I think even with something like that, you can still have Ripley in a babyface role or at least a tweener role, you know, uh, more tweener than she was heading into WrestleMania, which I thought was too far in the um, in the heel direction. I also wanted to say, um, you know, I really enjoyed Charlotte's reappearance here. But it was only the second best flair on screen appearance I've seen this week because I <laughs> I have to give a mention to Ric Flair on RJ City's WrestleMania After Dark. How was have this? I haven't I have not. No, but it seems to be a show that would be um, you to me would be the ideal audience that they this show is trying to reach. So this is a show that they put up on their YouTube channel after night one of WrestleMania. And, you know, RJ is somebody who uh, on our local seed we're all very familiar with. One of the, maybe the funniest person on wrestling Twitter. Uh, and WWE has been using him for, I think, various projects like their watch alongs. And I guess Bombs. somehow like he's they they must love him there. He has convinced them to give him his own hour of this kind of late night talk show type of thing where he does these Zoom interviews with various guests. And the selection was, you know, you knew exactly what they were going for because he picked the funniest people on the roster. He had Kevin. I don't even, I, I can't recap it because if I recapped it, it would sound like shit. Like, yeah, and this type of shit is not for everybody, but it's very much, I think, in the, in the, I hate even using comparisons too, but it's almost like a bit of a, you know, trolly kind of pranky interviews with a number of people. And the best, it was, was the main event in Ric Flair, who just like, we've seen Ric Flair in <laughs> certain interview situations, or let's just say he wasn't all that pleased. Here, get upset. You, I could have sworn that at any moment he would have just like stormed off, but (laughs) you know, they must have had quite the prep for him. Maybe the fact that this was a WWE product, like you know, made him at ease. But like, Flair was playing along with everything, he was great, like, he was so much fun. Uh, and RJ's, oh my god, John, there is a segment in this thing (laughs) that is made just for you, just all based about around wrestling puns. And man, I'm so glad like WWE is tapping into like. RJ City's mind because uh, he is such a he could be such a valuable resource. Listen, the, the WWE Network, the digital side. I mean, they they put out a lot of like clever stuff that they they know what they're seeking out for their audience. I mean, just think about like the what they've put into this is more so a Peacock thing, but like doing a full documentary on Vladimir the Superfan. Like that mm-hmm. to me is like like that's a really cool idea. Dude. The Jericho thing. I mean, they know their audience. They know their audience is aware of all this stuff, all this wrestling world outside of it, and they they don't seem to be afraid to cater directly towards them. Yeah. Miz and Morrison are with Maurice in the back. She's going to be on Miz TV. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are in the back watching and rewinding Mandy Rose's fall on the ramp which means that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler have figured out how you can rewind on Peacock. <laughs> Very good. Maybe maybe they had the international feed. <laughs> or maybe they were on uh, one of the pirate sites. 
Well, they they did have the peacock logo there, uh, strategically placed. <laughs> Mandy Rose confronts them and found it embarrassing, but also funny. It's, <laughs> it's funny when you don't see something coming. And then she just slaps Nia Jax on the side of the head. And then her and Dana tackle Nia Jax down as she is left seething. This led to a tag match with maybe the greatest worst finish in the history of me watching this industry. It was, yeah, the finish is, uh, like never in a million years could I have, <laughs> like, if you were to sit down and say, Hey, can we, can we how can we, can we fast forward to that segment, John? Cause I don't think we should take pause between like, let's, let's, let's move on to, to the match itself. Okay. The match is nothing to talk about, but it's built around two spots. Nia Jax entering the ring and slips. Subtle? Let's do it again, because at the end of the match, she is on the floor selling, slips on the apron, and falls before regaining her footing. This is so stunning to Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke that they leave. They leave the ring area reacting to this stumble. Dana Brooke told Mandy about 500 times for us to hear, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. The announcers have to sell that Nia Jax slipping, slipping is more valuable than any win would represent. We have matches every week. We have matches every single night on television. But people slipping only happens once every so often. And I was just waiting for Underworld to start playing uh, (laughs) to end this segment. Dude, this might have been the most perplexing finish to a match I've literally ever seen and I've seen it, it all. I've lived through the fiend. This, oh, you just you just saw uh yeah, fiend versus Orton last night, so that's quite the statement. They're like we not even like oh, she's hurt. It was we don't want a part of this match now. We're done. We're like so, check please. We we're out of here. They, I think the idea was that they were they scared of Nia? Like, like what she was going to do now that she was embarrassed. Like, was that it? Because that's how it came across to me. And, but and, she and, started the match slipping. Yeah, yeah. Well, it didn't turn out to be so bad. Well, she slipped twice now, and this time was a bigger fall. So, listen, I let's rewind a little. I thought the concept of using the botch of Mandy Rose slipping to get to this backstage segment. I thought that was really smart. And I love the way Mandy, you know, uh, did that. Like whether or not it was intentional, it was some form of bad acting that kind of actually worked here because she was just trying to, you know, fake Nia out before slapping her. I love the idea of the person getting bullied, slapping the bully directly in the face and then challenging them to a match. I thought, this was brilliant. What a great yeah, way of owning yeah, yes, a Yes, I love someone standing up to a bully. It was the perfect setup for that finish. Well, exactly. So I, I was like, great. This makes Mandy look awesome. Like, she's standing up to the bully. She owns the botch. 
And like, you know, it's taking a relatively newsworthy event and turning a storyline out of it. This is brilliant. I know what the finish of the match is going to be. Babyface is going over, right? Then they do this where like the fucking bully slips and the babyfaces retreat. Like the heroes just leave the ring and I have no explanation. It's not worth it. Like, it, it came across to me like they were cowardly and too scared to face this bully who's now been embarrassed. And I just thought, like, what? You you guys just, like, you, you were so... Cl- like, you you had it, and then just, like, lit it on fire. Like, I, are they that afraid of pitting somebody that they just had to do this of all finishes? Like, the you know? exact setup of the match, as you outlined, she slapped her upside the head. But this was uh, this was too far. This was too far. We have set her off by watching the apron embarrass her on live television. The same woman that was embarrassed yelling my hole on television. And it's not like like Nia's lost plenty of times to to Lana. This is a non-title match. She could have taken the pinfall. Like have the baby faces cheat if you need to. Grab the tights if you need to. Anything but what they did here, which is make the baby faces look cowardly by retreating off of a I'm, I'm just more perplexed. I just want to know how this idea was hatched. How you even get to this? What's it, it the was... suggestion? Who comes up with this? I have no idea. I, I, I just, I, Logically, I, I just don't even know how this enters the thought process of an actual finish, much less the green light and yes... Perfect. That's what we're going for. Someday we're going to get the Mandy Rose, Dana Rose, uh, sorry, Mandy Rose, Dana Brooks shoot interview uh, on Broken Skull Sessions, or they'll detail exactly what Steve, was going on here. <laughs> we got to WrestleMania on Saturday, and the tag team turmoil match was the second match. And you know what they say about the second <laughs> match. It was time for us to get out of the territory. We're, it'll be at the end of a 30-year career for either of these two. We'll look back at it and we'll just laugh. They'll come back. They'll do some shots with Steve and let loose. Anyway, so uh, going back here to uh, where in God's name were we? Oh, Alexa's playground. The hits just keep coming. Okay. She says she's on her playground set. WrestleMania was so much fun. And then the words, that would be my downfall tonight, Way. Maybe this little story will explain. There was a little girl that was lost until she was rescued by the darkness. It protected and nurtured her and taught her everything it knew. But then the darkness went away. Just listen to the rhythm of my heart. Is that when the little girl realized... She never needed the darkness after all? How do you think it made her feel when she realized she could do everything on her own? Was the darkness helping? Or was the darkness standing in her way? Why else would she use what she learned to destroy the darkness? Question. Is the female species the deadliest? We may never know. But what we do know is that along the way, I unlocked something truly evil. Meet my new friend, Lily. 
I was out, dude. It's like, way we've had a good run. <laughs> I was just this. Jesus. I'm just like there. There is no turning back at this point. This is where you and I say, way literally, we're either committed to this for like the rest of our fucking lives, or this is the end point. Like, wh- where are we on this journey, Lily? That I swear to Christ, we are going I'm, to get Lily versus one of the puppets promoted for a pay per view. I'm too far in at this point, John. Like I've, I'm. I, I mean that 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 turning point in the road was like probably somewhere you know when um, Ray Mysterio's I got ripped out. It was like it was way back then. So if ever uh, if ever there was a segment that needed a live shot, it was this segment on Adnan Verk. <laughs> absolutely that will tell the tale are you all in or do you have reservations that would tell the story yeah this is not espn coming up on the mlb network uh, we're gonna be joined by lily for a call the seventh inning oh fuck so you see a match like the fiend versus randy orton last night and the only explanation for a finish like that is that it is meant to be some sort of big cliffhanger for you to tune into next night on uh, to, to raw the next night for some big explanation that explains uh just completely bewildering conclusion like we had last night this was that explanation alexa has now realized she no longer needs the fiend the power is now coming from within her so we get clarification that she meant to distract the fiend to allow Randy to win and in her opinion destroy the fiend even though the fiend just kind of reappeared later on in the show. So did the but, did the black goo represent the darkness that is within her? Yeah, it's just sprouting from within her now. Cuz that it came means from Randy. Randy has the darkness. We also have a mysterious clone that is unaccounted for. The Randy clone? Yeah, was, what happened was, to him? Well, I think that was just an, uh, a conjuring of a of a visual of a, of an image. I think that was just a mirage. <laughs> this whole angle has been a mirage way. I think Adnan Verk will will explain it better uh, next week. But God, like this to me actually seemed to spell the end of this program. And as we'll go on to talk about it, you know, I thought this would be like okay. So I guess Alexa is moving now on now to a, to a feud with the Fiend. That is not the case. Instead of one Fiend program, we now have two concurrent Fiend programs. One in the women's division, one in the men's division. So uh, rather than getting no Fiend, you're going to get twice the Fiend on this show. So, God, like, I just can't imagine, after the months of build and knowing the criticism that this character has faced in the past, that they went with that finish and this explanation to wrap that whole thing out. Like... There's no way, any, like, even if you explained this shit last night, there's no way that this would have been better received in front of a live crowd. But at the very least, I think I would have, uh, we were all expecting a somewhat more batshit crazy, spectacular, satisfying match before getting to any of this B-level horror movie bullshit. And instead, they just got into this without any of the creativity that we've seen from the best parts of the feed, like in the Firefly Funhouse from last year. Um, I, Yeah, I, it just... <laughs> It's this shit is here to stay and it's multiplying. It's it's like disease. <laughs> it's like when we were exposed to the, the first problem and now we have to deal with the variants after WrestleMania. The variants. Excellent. The Lily variant. 
Oh, Raw is your hotspot. They plugged the Steve Austin documentary, which is somehow attached to the same industry that gave you that segment. Ms. TV, we had Marisa out. Um, this is just like a real clunky promo for Ms. and Mrs. Uh, coming up right after Raw. Damian Priest confronts them. Miz was taking credit for the match being so good. Damian Priest says, Bad Bunny deserves all the credit. Miz brings up how all the headlines uh, don't include Damian Priest. So he's jealous that he got upstaged by Bad Bunny. Goes back to... Miz brings up, I've had plenty of moments at WrestleMania. You've had none. Challenges are made. Maurice suggests a handicap match. Priest says, okay. And they have a handicap match. Yeah, I mean, uh, seems to be just be a way of following up that Bad Bunny program, and uh, without the star of the program. Well, it is uh, WrestleMania backlash, so the man has a tour to go to. So Morrison and Miz are all in their regular clothes that they have to wrestle this match in. They're double teaming. There's a summer priest. Priest worked way too hard in this match for what this was going to end with. This guy did a somersault dive over the corner. He did a spinning heel kick off of the top turnbuckle. Hit the lights onto Morrison, but Miz goes for the skull-crushing finale. It's reversed. Miz uh, gets saved by Maurice, and Priest then yanks Miz away, tearing off his clothes. Maurice gets on the apron, and this allows Miz, in his underwear, to roll up Priest using the rope for leverage and pins Damian Priest in 532. Using the ropes and using Maurice. And certainly I think there's going to be plenty of criticism, you know, put onto this. Having Damien Priest coming out of that Bad Bunny program at WrestleMania with so much momentum. And the first visual on the night after WrestleMania is of him taking a pinfall to The Miz with his pants down by his ankles. It's not a good look at all. And definitely a questionable way of following up. I will say... I thought simply just by technique and by um, uh, craft, I thought this was a very good old school heel handicap situation. Priest, I thought, was set up to be a fearless baby face by accepting the handicap challenge. And the heels were extra cowardly on top of it by cheating on top of the already given handicap advantage. And I, you know, found the Miz very entertaining. Definitely questionable whether or not you'd put Damien Priest in this situation at all. But for what they're achieving, I thought they were successful. Yeah, I, I think that it could have been a lot more effective follow-up with, with Damien Priest. I just think this relegates him to a, a pretty nondescript program, but it's... Um, I mean, it's it's him versus The Miz. We can expect that backlash, and we can expect Priest to get the solidified singles win. So... At the end of that, I, I think for a WrestleMania rematch show, this is the natural program to go to. Miz, uh, so they didn't quite, his pants didn't get pulled off of him. So he was struggling like hell with these things. And then he trips on the ramp and like brings Maurice down with him. It was just a comedy of errors here at the end. I think that was intentional. Don't you think? Well, well then bravo. Great. I find him really funny. And again, questionable whether or not you would put Damian Priest in this situation right away. But I think The Miz is extremely talented and very good in this mid-card comedy spot. Uh, not 
with a world title, not even with the money in the bank, but in this mid-card comedy role, I think he's great. And I think it's, Maurice was great here. It's going to be a program that it, it, you know, gets its time on Raw. And I think ultimately with Damian Priest, it's, you, you hope that he benefits. I, I am not so sure that coming out of Mania that he really got a whole lot. I think, I don't think the promo was wrong, that it was more so Bad Bunny uh, was the star of this thing. And I don't know if any of that trickles over to Damian Priest and watching this finish, uh, that to me just kind of confirmed that for me. But and I, just, I mean, this was just the way to set up the match, though. And the ultimate finish of the feud, you can expect, if we we hope, is Damian Priest actually getting that value by beating the Miz single handedly, not just beating the Miz, but maybe beating all three of them. Who, who's the third? Well, Maurice. She's, he's going to beat Maurice. Well, I mean, he's going to win the feud over the three of them. Okay. Then we had, uh, okay, right. So we had the tag match that we already went over. So we'll try and make sense of that at a later date. MVP's out. He calls Drew McIntyre a warrior, a dominant champion, but he took his eye off the target. It's okay to be number two when Lashley's number one. When the hurt lock is applied, it's over. And he explains how Drew passed out due to the pain and that Drew can't handle the pressure of the hurt lock. So Drew comes out. He's upset. He's upset. He said that WrestleMania would either have come down to the Claymore, the Hurt Lock, or who made the first mistake. And he did. He got distracted by MVP. But I have no excuses. This was almost like the third hour, right? The second. Uh, this was the start of the third hour. It's a, it's a little surprising that they, that they waited this long to set up the main event. Yeah. Um, a pretty big main event, I thought. Well, I had we not had people just interrupting one another, what would have been the main event on this show? It's a good thing everyone was like right there, ready to go with music. So Drew is confronting MVP when Braun Strowman comes out and Braun is telling Drew that he's got to get to the back of the line. Randy Orton comes out stating that he's done with the Fiend and Bliss. No more mind games. I want to be champion again. I'm moving on. Adam Pierce comes out and says we're making a triple threat, and the winner gets a title shot at WrestleMania! Backlash. Yes. Drew runs into Braun in the back. They argue. Elias and Jackson Riker are out. They're going to dedicate this song to Shane for his bravery, but as he goes to play, a trombone starts, and the New Day interrupt their song. New Day cuts a long promo here. And they say that Elias and Jackson Riker disgraced the tag division by getting beat up by one man in Braun Strowman at WrestleMania. Elias points out, you guys also got beat up by one man in Omos. And there are a bunch of losers that are going to fight about how we all got defeated by one man. Seems a good a reason as any to have a match. This was a match. Uh, I didn't have anything that I took from it. There was a hot tag to Kofi Kingston. There's like a weird movie promo in the middle of this. Did you get that? I saw a promo for nobody. Yeah, it was was like a 30-second cut-in. Didn't feel like... Was it meant to be? Because they didn't throw to it. It just felt like it was in the middle of the match. Uh, Maybe the the U.S. didn't even get it. It got your attention, didn't it? uh, You're right. They should just like, you know, not... Without any explanation, throw these commercials in there in the middle. So Elias ducks the trouble in paradise, but Kingston gets hold of Elias and Woods comes off with a double foot stomp. They won 10 minutes and five seconds. This one went 
Uh, I think that this could set up New Day for a rematch for the tag titles. About time. You know, this has been a team that I think uh, has, you know, I can't even do the sarcasm, guys. I It was really just a match, and honestly, I am so sick of the New Day constantly lingering in this spot. You know, you put them in the title program, they lose the belt at the pay-per-view, then they just come right back. No selling of the loss, no evolution in character whatsoever, no emotion attached to any title chase nor defense. Just these... Put promos. these guys with the fiend. Put these guys with the fiend. Ooh, like you gotta great sacrifice idea. some baby faces. These two, I volunteer. These two, go crazy. Be yeah. as be as new day over the top as you can with the fiend. Go to swamps. Go to dollhouses. Go into the fifth realm. Do whatever. Uh, I think crazy. that would actually be be quite amusing because they're both cartoonish characters anyway. Yes, so. but, yes. But for I'll take for it. Me, and it's like, I really don't think they would be cutting the same sort of obnoxious promos against The Fiend, just, you know, based on how 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 much they really value The Fiend, I suppose. But these these New Day promos with these, like, pop culture refer- re- references um, are just, to me, so by the numbers at this point that it's just feeling so lazy. And we contrast that with Big E, who on the other show seems to be at least doing new things with the character, taking the character to new directions. He's actually at least trying to do something different. This just feels like it's Kofi and Woods doing something that they could do, you know, with their eyes closed. Or I, I don't even know if that analogy makes sense, but it just feels like there's zero effort being put into it creatively. And that's very disappointing for people who have proven to be so creative in all of their other endeavors. On screen, it's just the same shit. And I, I'm really sick of it. Orton cut a promo in the back. He's been distracted for the last six months, but it ended last night. Now I can focus on what matters. He says the Fiend and Alexa Bliss have simply disappeared, it seems. Huh? We just saw Alexa, and literally in the next segment, they plugged the Firefly Funhouse coming up. They have not disappeared anywhere. Um, Maybe he's muted them. Mm-hmm. The Doesn't Fiend mean they has don't exist. Dis- well, the Fiend has disappeared. Okay. Right? Uh, well, Alexa Bliss has not. Well, she's not the fiend. She's her own thing now. Okay. She's uh, some lily. Well, he said both of them have disappeared. Yeah, maybe maybe some miscommunication. Doesn't <laughs> matter. These segments. So the Firefly Funhouse is back. Bray enters through the door. Abby says he couldn't stand him. But Bray says, we'll always have each other. He feels great. He's a brand new person and feels reborn. And he transforms into Benny Hinn, healing everyone, putting his hands on their forehead. He yells, no more clout chasing, and he is now an evangelist. So maybe if we get this feud, he can try and recruit and try and convince the born-again Kingston to join him. Oh, wow. Uh, this is becoming a bit of a dream feud, I sense. I am fine I'm with telling. the New Day and The Fiend. Like, you've got to have a Fiend program. If we're going to have it, let's put The New Day in there. Those are baby faces that I would be willing to put into that program. If it means taking them out of another meaningless tag title chase, then sure, why not? But this was uh, Bray Wyatt promising some sort of new version of the Bray Wyatt character. Um, and again, just a, an incredible, not like fucking batshit crazy non-finish to this terrible Orton program. Like, I wonder if this it, guy's been watching some uh, some Kearney Thomas for inspiration for this new character. 
I wonder. Yeah, sure. Don't we have enough like cult leaders in pro wrestling? Well, you, you don't have the religious angle. Uh, you could introduce that. He could have a lot of fun with this. And then the main event three-way. Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, and Randy Orton. Uh, this is where, unfortunately, Burke referred to Drew as the Celtic warrior, and Graves had to correct him that that is the Scottish warrior. We have multiple warriors here. <laughs> right. So, the, the Cel- yeah, Seamus is a Celtic warrior. Is 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 Drew no- also known as the Scottish warrior? They have two people, two warriors? Yes, we had Graves clarify. <laughs> this is the Scottish warrior, not to be confused with the Celtic warrior. And uh, then we could have thrown to a package where we have our warrior award winners. Right. Okay. And the Viking, I guess those aren't warriors, right? No, they are not warriors. Right. They've not reached that status yet. So the three-way, it went 11 minutes. Strowman did his express, but ran right into steps. Just doesn't apparently have brakes on this express. Orton suplex Drew onto the desk. They go through the commercial. Strowman hits an avalanche to Randy, then misses in the corner going for Drew. And Drew goes for a reverse neck breaker, but he didn't get hold of the neck. Instead, he grabbed Braun's beard and Braun took like a back bump from his beard being pulled. And this was just too blatant that Corey, Corey Graves, dude, this guy doesn't let shit go. It's like, I'm going to be the fact checker here and God bless him. And <laughs> this looked utterly ridiculous as Braun took the beard bump. Braun then attacks Drew with steps. He drills Orton with them. Then he's get gets caught with a draping DDT. Orton sets up for the RKO, hits it to Braun, but as he goes for the pin, Drew stops it with a Claymore, pinning Randy at 11-16, and Drew is going to WrestleMania. I was seriously thinking, please have a WrestleMania backlash sign to point to. That would have been, I would have given this show a thumbs up. I would have forgiven them for the last two hours and 59 minutes. I think a WrestleMania backlash sign should just be like the word backlash written on cardboard taped to the WrestleMania sign. Just have the WrestleMania sign and then just have like a bra- brackets below, like it's <laughs> backlash, stuck yeah. onto it. <laughs> MVP walks out and this leads to T-Bar and Mace. Same gimmick, same masks, jumping Drew from behind, laying him out with their double team choke slam, And then with the two of them posed on the stage... With MVP smiling, Corey Graves asks the question, did MVP have something to do with this? Find out next week if this was a plan. I don't know. It might have been T-Bar and Mace going rogue, but what it did confirm is that the breakup of Retribution didn't do wonders for Mustafa Ali. Nope. Um, Did not get the call. Well, I mean, the big question I think on my mind is, what about Slapjack? You know what? What's going on with Slapjack? I think that uh, he's going to um, be hanging out with Jinder. That might be in Mojo Raleigh. I personally, I think, would have re- rebranded Retribution slightly. You know, I would have ditched the masks here, but I guess they like this look. Oh, God. Well, their stock is just so hurt by that run that I think just seeing them actually takes Lashley and MVP down a notch. It really does. It also makes like the Hurt Business 
like a much goofier element with them. Like, I think you could have ditched the masks and at least tried to give a bit of a refresh to these two. Start well, them the off su- new. The suits. That's what the Hurt Business is, right? Very serious. Very, like, there was no bullshit about the Hurt Business. And I think yeah. that was a big uh, part of the appeal. And this this really does add more so. Like, it makes it more of a cartoon to me, the group, with these two attached to it. Well, I'm definitely curious to see how MVP will treat it because I think we can trust that he will do everything in his power and his ability to make sense and try to add some credibility to this uh, retribution duo. Uh, if any of more of them join up, I mean, shit, like I want to see how MVP will do to a slapjack to make, to make slapjack in, intimidating. But hey, overall, um, this was a really interesting show. And I can say... <laughs> There is no point in the show where I got bored because there's always some something to talk about. Something, whether it be good or whether it was bad shit crazy, um, it was like certainly a enjoyable show to talk about. I thought it was a fairly bad show tonight. Um, throwing out the fact that this is one of the big shows of the year to launch a whole bunch of different programs and. And stuff to lean on. Um, I, I just thought that like there was a lot of whacked out stuff on this show. A lot of stuff. I was just totally puzzled that this was an extension of what we watched the last two nights. Um, there was a freshness to the show that I enjoyed. I mean, you know, have even mixed results, I think, with the commentary. But, you know, even having something new to to present the whole thing to us, having a bit of a new set made things feel different. I really like Charlotte's promo. I uh, despite what you might think of the booking, I thought Miz and Maurice and Morrison did a good job. Relatively logical booking for Drew and Lashley, but the booking, I think, is going to be the talk of this show. Um, even, like, 90% of what they did with Nia and Mandy, I thought, was solid. Up until the completely perplexing finish, you now have two fiends with two, I'm sure, equally confusing, ridiculous uh, angles. And um, what else we got here? Matt Riddle... I t- Riddle's doing nothing. He's just kind of floundering. We had we had no Sheamus on the show, no AJ and Omos, uh, so those are kind of up in the air where where those two champions are going. You also have, uh, you know, coming out of Mania, like it's a heavy emphasis. Like Bianca Belair is the exception, but of heel champions across the board. So it's going to be very imperative to build up your baby faces, and that has been a challenge, a real challenge for this company and more so on raw. Like I, I think SmackDown has a lot of interesting pieces to play with coming out of WrestleMania. And well, they had the two main events. They did. They, to me had a lot and you had, I mean, Cesaro's coming off that win. Owens is coming off that win. I, I'm, I am not that concerned about SmackDown. It's generally a pretty easily digestible show. You've got a lot of interesting parts to it that I am. I'm looking forward to this week's SmackDown as I am NXT. Uh, but Raw, it's, I, I just think this is just, it just seems like it's a mess of all these different ideas. And it just seems like a million things thrown against the wall. And I don't think really having a, a semblance of, of what sticks. Um, I think know, one of la- the fiends, I think one of the fiends will move to SmackDown. That sentence is really <laughs> puzzling. Like, I don't even know what to Take from that statement right there. One of the fiends could move to SmackDown. Yeah. That was Raw. 
uh, coming <laughs> off of WrestleMania. Uh, we have been live four consecutive nights. I, I'm very much looking forward to having uh, tomorrow off. Well, let's wrap it up with some of your thoughts from forum.postwrestling.com. We go to our patrons' thoughts every single week here at uh, on Rewind to Raw. And if you're a double-double ice cap or a special patron, you get to listen to these shows live immediately after R- Raw itself. So uh, thank you to all of our supporters at postwrestlingcafe.com. Tonight's poll, out of 10, Raw gets a 4.12. Paul from New Jersey starts it off. I enjoyed Mania overall and was hoping to get a decent Raw. Charlotte was out there long, but I thought the promo was effective. I'm glad Charlotte can leave all the nonsense behind. The Alexa Bliss explanation made little to no sense, so par for the course. The show was just slogging along until the slip. I didn't think... Is that what this is going to be known as? The slip? Um, what? Like the main Instead of the thing? blip, this is <laughs> the slip. This, will, <laughs> the slip. this finish will forever be known as the slip. <laughs> I didn't think Mandy and Dana could look any dumber, but I stand corrected. A dud of a show with an awful commentator debut. I cannot fathom what WWE was thinking with the show tonight. Oh, well, it's just wrestling. Hope all is well. We got a Nick from Boston who says, for a Raw after Mania, this show, man, I didn't even realize, like, you mentioning that this was the Raw after Mania, like, somehow being any sort of significant event is... uh... I think a real thing of the past now. I didn't even have that anticipation. But, but even even point. at its like like more like kind of drilled down so, version in a Thunderdome setting, it's still the launch off period for a lot of people. You're coming off the biggest show of the year. What are what are the stories that are continuing? What are the new angles? Uh, what are you know a couple of returns that you got tonight? Not a heavy call-ups. amount. It's like you've got the interest and you've also got your fan base that is this year, I think, coming off a pretty well-received set of WrestleMania shows that you had an engaged audience. Do you think uh, they have only hit 2 million viewers once this year? Does tonight's show hit 2 million viewers? I don't think so. I I think, I mean, you're going to see a bit of a bump. I personally think people still associate the three hours of Raw with something that they probably don't really want to experience for the most part. SmackDown might be a different story because I think that will have the more interesting story. Um, you know, main events, of course. But but will the momentum have died down by then? We shall see. Uh, Nick continues, The show didn't have much substance. I thought Charlotte's promo was a highlight and she's always been at her absolute best as an arrogant heel. I'm all for it. Her distraction leads to a great triple threat between herself, Asuka, and Ripley at Backlash. As for Retribution getting involved, why not just completely repackage them as Dio Madden and Dijakovic? It would be far more impactful to see them completely shed the silly gear and come out as fresh as a fresh new threat. And uh, he talks about Adnan Verk. I certainly think he brings more of a real sports feel to the broadcast, but at times he sounded very much at odds with the world of sports entertainment. Hopefully he has time to get acclimated, and I actually thought Graves and Saxton did a good job of pulling him through the rougher moments. Will be a steep learning curve. Brian, not that remarkable of a Raw after Mania, but in the Thunderdome, I don't think it was, it was ever going to be. My favorite part of the night was Charlotte's return and promo, which was exactly what it needed to be. Nice to see the Viking Raiders back, and they seem to be very happy Vikings. T-Bar and Mace becoming hired goons for the Hurt Business could be something and a way to be thrust into the main events, while I worry Mustafa Ali might be joining the others on main event. Just thinking about that leaves me kind of relieved not to see any post-WrestleMania call-ups yet. Finally, we got Alex from Portland who says, The good. Mason T. Bar could thrive if paired with MVP and Lashley. 
The New Day having a DMX tribute was welcome too. Nia Jax was caught slipping and falling. It's nice to see her botches not involved hurting others. Well, that's another uh, DMX reference. Don't know if you meant that. He says, The bad, Rhea and Asuka, could you ask for a worse way to debut as champion? The ugly, everything involving Alexa Bliss. I complained about Sheamus and AJ and almost being left off of the show, but if I had the chance, I wouldn't have had to be a part of this show either. All right. There is the feedback. Thank you, everybody, for uh, leaving your thoughts on the show. That is going to wrap it up. As I mentioned, this is our fourth straight night uh, being live. Our WrestleMania post shows are up there, as well as YouTube.com slash post wrestling if you want to go back and Hear all of our thoughts on two nights of WrestleMania. All of the shows can be found at postwrestling.com. Uh, we'll be dropping the bonus shows from post-podcast day for members of the cafe on Tuesday. And then, wait, we'll do it all again. Wednesday night, 10.15 Eastern. Finally got the night to ourselves on Wednesday. Oh, Brayden I'm and Davey are on now Tuesday nights up next. So tune into that as NXT moves back 24 hours. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for uh, all of your feedback over the past week. Um, it was a, you know, it was a fun WrestleMania week. And with that, we will say goodbye. Thank you for listening to Rewind a Raw. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.